I'm ready to continue this series. If you remember from last week, uh, I sort of shared tongue-in-cheek that, that last week's message was really just the introduction. Um, and so today is, is basically the rest of that message. Uh, I just felt like there was a lot that we wanted to share to sort of set up where we're going for the next several weeks. Um, and so today we're going to actually get to the Ephesians 6 passage that we've based the rest of the series on. We've started exploring, just to remind you, last week we talked a lot about courage. We talked about how courage is preparing for what's coming. It takes courage to do that when we see something potentially painful or difficult sort of coming down the road. Courage is enduring that pain at the moment of impact and still believing and holding on to the promises. And courage is sometimes, even when we do get knocked down, it's getting up and trying again. Overcoming the feelings of past failures and continuing to believe, continuing to press forward, and continuing to lean on the Lord. I want to look at one scripture from last week to set us up for this week. Hebrews 10, we read, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Father, in Jesus' name, we just we welcome you into this place. We know that you're here, but we just say, come Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what you please in our meeting here today. Give us eyes and ears to see and hear what you're doing. Enliven your word today, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you just Use me as a vessel. Would you speak through me so that we, your people, can encounter you and your words? Because we know in your words we find real life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm just going to get right to it so that we don't uh, get stuck in introduction mode too much longer. And let's turn, if you have a Bible, to Ephesians 6. We're going to look... At verses 10 through 14 today, and then we're going to continue on in the subsequent weeks looking at the rest of the verses. I stuck my bookmark in the wrong chapter. Not that that's a bad book, <laughs> just not the one for today. All right, let's go ahead and read uh, all four verses together, if you would. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Um, and I'd encourage you to go back and read the preceding sections, because again, you just kind of indicates that, because it starts with a final word. So we know he's given other instructions, but that's not for today. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. And our last verse for today, stand your ground, 
putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for your word. So we're going to go back and and step through this passage piece by piece and, and pull some things out and amplify some things. But I just want to start with this opening phrase, be strong in the Lord. Now, I may be over-examining or over-simplifying, but it says to be. It doesn't say to strive or to stir yourself. It just says be. So this would indicate to me that this is deeply connected to who we are. This is something that's freely available to us. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. When we're not feeling strong, I'm not saying we don't have to go back and, and find it. But, but I just wanted to point out the fact that it says, be strong in the Lord. This is supposed to be a regular part of our walk. It's not simply a reactionary thing. It's not, well, when hard times come, get strong. When unexpected things happen, then you've got to fight back. No, he's again encouraging us to be prepared. As we read last week, when it tells us, you will have trials and troubles in this world. Behold, I've overcome the world. In other words, you know this stuff is coming, so be strong. Go through the processes you need to. Seek me. Do the things you need to to be strong in the Lord, even when times are good. Even when things are working okay. Even when there's not a disaster or an unpleasant circumstance, be strong in the Lord. So that you won't be caught off guard. Just as we illustrated last week with, with the Red Rover game. Right? Like if, if my friend on, on this side, you know, waited until that uh, on, onslaught of young children gets there and she hadn't prepared, and she hadn't set her feet and grasped her, like she wouldn't have stood her ground. They would have, the enemy would have broken through. So we need to be strong as we prepare. And I want to take that a little bit further, and and this is a little bit of a teaser to where we're going later on, but I think we find it here also. I want to remind you that we are stronger together than we are apart. In Ecclesiastes, we many might be familiar with these passages. Ecclesiastes 4.9 tells us two people are better off than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. We talk to you about this all the time in the context of community. When, when you hit that place in your personal journey, if you're in a community, we can help carry you. We can help each other. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one person be warm alone? A person standing can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. This is the part we all probably know. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I want to jump back to the New Testament here in Acts 17. Do you ever think about the fact that um, the disciples who who didn't actually number a, a great number were called or referred to the ones that turned the world upside down? You know, we often think of our, ourselves, especially in the context of, of an American consumeristic culture, 
as, as being small. You know, so what, what, what real effect could, you know, the number of us that call Vineyard Church Peoria our home, what effect could we really have? And we're often even just saying on our community, let alone the world. And yet we read of a group so much smaller, and as I said, pointing to Acts 17, we, we read Paul and Silas were referred to those who turned the world upside down. Don't ever underestimate the power of what a group of people unified together on a mission in the power of the Holy Spirit can do. Don't ever underestimate that. Don't Again, as I've encouraged you before, for us collectively, as Romans tells us, consider yourselves according to the measure of faith that God has given you. Don't measure yourselves according to comparing yourself to other churches and ministries and people that are doing things that you admire, uh, people that seem on the surface to have it more together than you. Don't judge yourself on those things. Comparison will rob you of joy. Measure yourself according to the measure of faith that God has given you and be obedient and be faithful to that which he has given you. As we think about being stronger together, I couldn't help but think also of Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. <coughs> you see, it's not just that we're stronger together because we have more strength in numbers and we can then maybe accomplish something we can't but we actually help each other as we come together in the context of community and 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 i'm talking outside of something just as we rub shoulders doing life together we actually bring encouragement to each other like iron on iron we sharpen each other we accomplish more we're more tuned in to the lord we are more encouraged, and again, that we find safety in that because we know that when we hit that patch in the road, we're part of a community that can help us in those difficult times. I'm going to keep moving because there's just there's actually a ton of scripture today. When you find yourself struggling, to phrase it this way, in the heat of battle. And sometimes, if you think in that analogy, sometimes in the heat of battle, you might find yourself, for any number of reasons, in the moment, uh, not surrounded by your community. doesn't mean that you're not part of one, but, but the other side of this coin of being strong in the Lord is, is there strength in the community. But when you find yourself caught off guard or alone or out somewhere, you must also know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Now, as a community, we want to always be available to pray for and encourage and help each other. We should always be ready to do that. But every once in a while, you might find yourself in a circumstance where that help doesn't seem right at your fingertip. And I want to read a passage from 1 Samuel where we, we read about King David, and, and I would love to actually do a whole series on this sometime. Um, but just to sort of summarize, at this point in the story, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 30. Uh, David has basically been excluded, turned down, abandoned, sort of written off by, by everyone. He's, he's been through, if you're familiar with the story, 
He's been through multiple phases. And at this point, we're going to pick up in verse 6. And we're just reading a couple of verses here just to make a point. First Samuel 36, it said, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all of the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Abimelech, Bring me the ephod. And so he brought the ephod to David. And David, in verse 8, inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, the Lord answered, Pursue, for you shall, you shall surely overtake. You shall surely rescue. I couldn't help but think my name's not Shirley, but that's beside the point. <laughs> the, the, the point of this is when we think about strengthening ourselves in the Lord, when you find yourself in the heat of battle, when you've been caught off guard, because we don't, any of us do this perfectly, right? We don't, we don't stay fully encouraged in the Lord. We don't stay always ready in season and out, even though we're encouraged. And I say we, because I'm, I'm in that camp with you. I get caught off guard. I find myself unprepared at times. But as we think about that, and we look at this passage, I want you to notice that when David didn't know what to do, he didn't come to the Lord in panic and distress it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord, and then he inquired of the Lord. The Lord wants to hear everything that we have. He's not afraid of your distress or your questions or your doubt. But oftentimes we need to strengthen ourselves. We need to minister to ourselves to get back to that place of faith so that when the Lord speaks, that when the Lord gives you an answer or a direction or wisdom or encouragement, we actually have the faith to believe it. We actually have the strength to step out and do that thing which the Lord has asked of us. And so as David strengthened himself, encouraged himself in the Lord, and the Lord answered, he had the faith to step out and do that thing which the Lord had asked of him. Let's jump back and read verse 12, again from Ephesians 6. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's probably no surprise to you to hear me remind you once again that for us, in this present day and age, the battlefield that we are fighting on takes place in the mind. This is not a, a physical battle. It is not the person across the uh, interaction that you might be in the midst of that is your enemy. There is a battle taking place in our mind. Now, I want to just be kind of make some declarative statements here. We have, if we're a believer, follower of Jesus, we have a renewed spirit. That spirit of Jesus is aligned with the reality of the kingdom of heaven. But we also have a flesh that is still influenced by the kingdom of darkness and of this world. And so we have one nature. 
When, when we read that I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but he who lives through me. That really is true. And that really is like complete and, and, and permeable. Like that, that old me, the old man, like he's really dead. The, the Lord encourages us to consider the old person dead. It's Christ who lives through me. And so my nature, my true nature as a spirit-filled believer really is in alignment with God. But yet, we have these tugs, these pulls. We have temptations. We have opportunities. We have a flesh that's actually at war with our spirit. And not everything has yet been perfected. But I, I want you to remember, even in light of that reality... That when you experience darkness in whatever measure, in whatever situation, when you experience those tugs and those pulls, that it is darkness on the outside trying to get in. See, the enemy would, would want to, to try to twist that around. The, hey, you know, I know what you said, but I, you, you really just still more that old person. You know, that, you, just, you haven't really, like, there's parts of you that's not been crucified yet you just you need to you're you're not actually all the way dead you're not alive to christ um and 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 he wants to twist that around and it's all manipulation it's all deception and and part of what we're going to explore here in just a moment i'm trying not to get ahead of myself is that we have to believe what the lord says about us is true more than what we might be feeling or experiencing in the moment. And I'm just going to leave that there for the moment. Let's go on and read the next couple of verses so we can get to uh, our, our two pieces of body armor that we're going to explore today. Verse 13, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Again, these are specific instructions of how to prepare God says, I have these tools, use them. But don't wait until the moment of battle. Put them on, and then in the time of evil, in other words, in the inevitable time that something happens, that something tries to come against you, you'll be able to stand firm. And let, let me just uh, drop this in the pot too. The reality of this battle for us as believers uh, was never meant to be one of defense. You know, we hear lots of talk these days about uh, spiritual warfare, which is very real. I'm, I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. And we hear a lot about, you know, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm having a hard time. The enemy's just really uh, attacking me. And again, I'm, I'm not dismissing that. But friends, I want you to consider: if you're not actively advancing towards the mission of the kingdom, what need does the enemy have to come against you? If he can keep you on the sidelines, just kind of doing the nice Christian thing, but not really pushing back against his kingdom of darkness, what need does he have to attack you? I would encourage you to think of the fact that as believers, we are actually playing offense. I don't know... Uh, how many sports fans we have, you know, but it's like, and it's, it's, it's not a back and forth. I mean, we, we don't win every battle. I understand sometimes we might feel like we get pushed back, but, but we're like on permanent offense. 
Our mission, the kingdom mission, is to destroy the works of the devil, to push back that kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. And so this is why the preparation is so important. I want you to think about it this way. Now, let's save that. That's going to be in a little bit. That's trying to get ahead. You guys know I, I, I try to jump. I try to jump ahead. All right, so verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor, or some translations would say the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to look at these real quick. Let's start with the belt of truth. And some uh, older translations actually uh, have this phrase, uh, to gird up your loins. You know, well, you know, what is that talking about? I looked into it a little bit more, and it simply was referring to the soldiers of that day would use the belt to gather kind of all of the extra fabric and things from the uniform and kind of tuck it all up and tie it so that it didn't encumber them. So they were able to move freely, to run, to kind of be more nimble. And so you think, you know, well, like, what what is that like? And as I began asking the Lord about it, he began talking to me about how truth actually helps us be more nimble in the spirit. Um, before I go there, back in the previous chapter in Ephesians 5, we have this short little passage, the last part of verse 25 and 26 of chapter 5. It's talking to husbands and wives, and then it compares it to Christ. And how he gave up his life for her, the church, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Now we know that we can refer to God's word as the word of truth, both his written word and his active speaking word today. But we need, as believers, to be daily washed in the water of the word, to stay on the offensive, to... to Basically use that to sort of gather things up because we can have all kinds of stray thoughts and distractions and things. And we need to allow a daily rhythm, a daily practice of coming back to the word of truth and allowing it to wash us and to cleanse us so that we can stay nimble, so that we're ready to run, so that we're ready to move left and right as the Lord directs. You see, truth helps keep us clean. We don't talk about this a whole lot. But even as a person with a renewed mind and filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and we know that we all make mistakes. But, you know, there also can be times that, that we encounter things that just, I mean, oftentimes through no fault of your own might just make you feel unclean, right? Like you might, whether it's interacting with an individual or uh, or making an unintentional, you, things can happen and you say, oh, that just felt icky. You know, maybe you have immediate regret. Oh, I said that, you know, and yeah, I didn't mean it and I regret it, but, but ah, that just, oh, that just feels dirty. We need to come back to the word of truth. And allow his word to supersede our feelings and to 
remind us of the righteousness that we have that we'll get to in a moment. We need to be clean so that we're ready for battle. If you think about this way, uh, and I sort of use this illustration in a different way, but you know, if a thief breaks into your home in the middle of the night and you have no warning, you might be caught defending your family in your PJs, right? Like not exactly like what you would choose if you'd had advance notice. Um, but if you are the offense... You're going to be dressed and clean and ready. You're going to have your tools at your side. You're going to have all of that done. You're going to be slick and clean and focused and ready before the battle ever begins. This is what the Lord is encouraging us, to use the truth of his word. And I tell you, friends, most of the time you won't realize what you're even preparing for. This is the beauty and the kindness of our God. That when we come to his word and when we come into his presence and we tune into the things that he's saying and the things that he's doing and he begins to speak truth over us, we don't even realize what that might be preparing us for. But I'm telling you, we need it. We need it daily. We need that cleansing, that washing, that preparation so that when the inevitable things happen, we're ready to move. We're not caught off guard. The body armor or the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness uh, simply means to be in right standing. You ever get uh, forget to turn a book into the library? You know your account's no longer in good standing. Like bring the book back. You know you. We often think in our relationship with God, uh, we get this out of order. We think that, you know, righteousness, well, that means if I'm living clean, if I'm being holy, if I've got my act cleaned up and I've done pretty good this week, then I'm walking in the righteousness of God. And it's a barrier because none of us can do that. I think God is actually uh, asking us to come to him surrendered more than he's asking us to come to us, come to him clean. He will clean up in our surrendered state. He will clean up what needs to be cleaned up. He will set straight the lies that we've been told and sometimes believed. And he will clothe us in robes of righteousness. Believing that we are righteous in Jesus. Now, notice, in Jesus, not in self. This is not self-righteousness. Believing that we are righteous in Jesus will protect us from the direct assaults of the enemy, especially the ones aimed at our heart. This is that that breastplate of righteousness. And and you're going to see in a minute how these two are tied together, this truth and righteousness. But I want to look at one more scripture, Zechariah 3. He spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to Joshua, See, I have caused your wickedness to be taken away from you, and I will clothe and beautify you with robes of forgiveness. Now this is from the Amplified Version, so it's sort of spelling out the richness of those words. There is an intricate tie between truth and righteousness because both of these 
crucial elements, the belt of truth and the body armor of righteousness, both are directly connected to our identity. It's in believing that what God says about you, who God says you are, is more true than the way you feel. Then even perhaps what others might say about you based on your actions, which is, I mean, let's be honest, it's hard to overcome, right? Like somebody said, you know, well, I, I know your track record and you've consistently done this and that doesn't seem like the Christianly thing to do. They, they may not be wrong. I might have something I need to work through there, but that is not my identity. See, when I, when I behave in those ways, I'm acting outside of my identity because I have to believe that if there's a discrepancy between my experience and his word, the problem is not on his word's end. Like if God says that I am his righteousness, if God says I'm forgiven, if God says I'm endued with his spirit, uh, then that's got to be true whether I'm behaving like it or not. And it doesn't excuse behavior. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we can go around acting a fool and, well, there's, there's grace for that and none of it matters. Just do as you please and it'll all be covered in the end. No, there, there's a real call. What God desires to do is to, to take those experiences and to teach us and to mold us and to help us walk in greater and greater measures of holiness, to, to walk more. But that's his work. That's not something that we have to do to come to him. Truth and righteousness together will reveal your true identity. Truth and righteousness together, these amazing first couple of tools that we're looking at, will set straight if you believe them, if you step into them once and for all, Set straight our identity as beloved sons and daughters of the Most High King. Know who you are. This is the Lord's encouragement today. And, and this may not, well, what does that have to do with courage? It takes courage to know who you are. Because as you get to know who you are, things might come to the surface that are not perfect. You might have to experience healing in areas that require you to endure pain in order to get to the place that the Lord is taking you. Know who you are and know whose you are and put your trust in him. Then even when you mess up, when you get tricked, when you get deceived, when you fall down, you'll know better than to blame yourself and fall into self-condemnation or give the devil a foothold. You can actually stand strong in your identity. It doesn't mean we don't own up to our mistakes. We do. We have to own. Yeah, I have to own that I, that I did that, but it doesn't change my identity. It doesn't suddenly make me an unrighteous person. Stand strong in your identity. Hold your ground. Get help when you need it and encourage yourself in the Lord even when that help doesn't seem to be readily available.